Welcome to the Brain People Podcast, a show where four mental health experts team up to bring you practical tools for overcoming mental health challenges. The Brain People don't replace your doctor or therapist, but we will give you some extra tools to help you on your journey. So join us as we fight mental illness, one episode at a time. Welcome to the Brain People Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Binus, and today I'm joined again by Kristen and Jackson Henley. And this is part two of two. Uh, we've been talking about relationship trauma. Uh, in our first part of the episode, we focused on uh, Jackson's experience and the uh, sexual addiction problem and then the uh, betrayal uh problem that occurred between him and Kristen and uh, how that took place, how that affected their family, their uh, marriage, but also how uh, Jackson took some steps to really deal with that and uh, to take accountability to become free. And uh, in the second part, we really want to focus more in on Kristen's part of the story and how this impacted her and her experience and what she's done uh, Mm -hmm. to heal Uh, from this trauma. Mm -hmm. So Kristen, I'd love to just hear from you. Can can you share a little bit about uh, this experience from your perspective? Uh, When did you first find find out that uh, Jackson had a problem with pornography? So in episode one, we were leading up to this point. Um, So some people call it D-Day, Disclosure Day. Um, And it can be a really heavy day. Sometimes it's Discovery Day for a couple where the betrayed partner finds evidence that they that there's infidelity happening in the relationship. In our story, it's a little bit different. Jackson disclosed voluntarily that um, he had this ongoing addiction and had been lying to me over the course of our entire marriage. Um, so when we believe that the Holy Spirit gave him this prompting And um, he decided to go ahead and tell me. I I can't remember details of that night, um, but I can remember certain feelings, uh, which is uh, fragmentation occurred for me. Um, And this is kind of the experience of betrayal trauma, especially on D-Day. There's a lot of shock. There could be some denial. Um, There's a lot of panic, anxiety, wondering who is this person that you have committed your life to and which reality are you supposed to believe? Uh, All of a sudden, it's like two computer screens come up Mm. and you see this reality that you thought you had with this person and this alternate reality that they're now telling you about. And I remember one major experience that that I was feeling was I need a timeline because I was so desperate to figure out what parts of our relationship and our emotional and physical intimacy was real and, and what was tainted by now this information of this infidelity. And one thing that's unique about betrayal trauma is Betrayal trauma can occur to a betrayed spouse in a variety of ways, and the degree of severity, it it depends on a number of factors. Um, But basically, it's any violation that goes against a norm that you believe to be true in your relationship. So it could be 
you know, texting exes. It could be one night stand with a prostitute. It could be pornography. It could simply be masturbation that you don't think that that's happening, that you think that that's only occurring within your marriage as an act together and that's not happening. And so some people might think, oh, well, they they haven't gone out and had a physical affair, but a person can still experience betrayal trauma based on any type of violation. It doesn't have to be as severe as a one night stand with a prostitute. Um, And so, you know, in our story, it was just this shock as what he was reporting to me and me trying to figure out what was reality, what was true and what was fake. If I understood correctly, early on in your relationship, you did he did uh, mention even when you're you're recording that that there was this was an issue, but then it sounded like you pretty much thought, okay, that's behind us. That's yeah. a non-issue. He's gotten past that. Yeah. So so this actually went on then for years. So it, it was like, boom! It probably hit you like a, a ton of bricks because you had this picture of this is what our life is, our relationship. This is what my marriage is like. I can trust Jackson, and now boom. Completely out of the blue. Completely out of the blue. And and so what were some of the feelings and emotions that that came up for you? And obviously, you know, here you are a therapist already, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and you're probably, I mean, at least you had some extra tools, but I can imagine it probably really yeah. took you for a spin. Um, trauma. Trauma is a big word. Um, well, and that was one of the hard things, right, is because you had this training. And so immediately I yeah. think you expect of yourself and others expect, well, she's got she's got the degree, so she at least knows how to handle it. Yeah. And and how could I not see it? Looking back, I could see red flags. I could mm-hmm. see things. But um, one of the trauma-informed therapists and coaches that I worked with said, you can't blame yourself for something that you were lied to about, for something that you didn't know you trusted. That was the foundation of your relationship. And so it's shattering. There's a lot of grief and you actually go through stages of grief as Mm. well. And I talked about this in our webinar with Beautiful Minds um, on this topic as well. So people could access that for information. And I talk about resources at the end as well. Um, But grief is a huge component because our marriage died it was dead to me. And people that weren't informed on this topic, very well-meaning individuals would talk about rebuilding or restoring. And I thought, rebuild? I mean, it's gone. You don't understand. Like It doesn't exist because it was a lie to me. There was such a big breach in the foundation of our intimacy and trust. And there was no safety. So that's one of the hardest aspects about betrayal trauma. And I now, want, if oh, you don't ahead. mind, you know, some people might be saying, well, it's just looking at a picture. Mm-hmm. It's not really like, so, so why, why is it such a, a big deal? If you really understand what happens in the brain when pornography is happening, then the same components, the same wiring is firing off as if it is an actual affair. You're also shaping the brain to contribute to lust and objectification. So those things are naturally occurring in the mind. Whereas when you go out in the world, we live in a, in a hypersexualized culture that's incredibly triggering. 
um, which is another difficult thing for the betrayed spouse who's going through betrayal trauma. And it's very severe in the beginning. It wears off over time. There's lots of triggers and components to that. Um, But when you have those, when you recognize that there are those triggers out there, you have I don't have the ability to get inside his brain and control his thoughts, but those are constant violations. Um, I'm a Christian, and I believe that in the Bible it talks about if a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Mm. Uh, That plays along with cognitive behavior therapy. Um, It's in Proverbs. And uh, we also see that Jesus said himself that infidelity takes can take place in the mind and it's considered adultery because he knew that under, he had that understanding of how thoughts create an individual. And so there's shaping of character, this lack of empathy. And we saw these things. We had to work through these components of that as a result of the addiction. Jackson, looking back now, uh, do you resonate with what Kristen is saying as far as, uh, would you go as far as to say, Pornography is actually same thing as cheating on your spouse. Absolutely. Um, like Kristen said, um, if you boil it down, the the same things happen physiologically to the person who's doing the acting out. Sadly, um, and so yes, I I think that in a way there can be additional angles and different types of pain if there's uh, an affair with another person because there's the emotional component, the relationship, and that that would be very, very tough. But I don't think that should be used to diminish the trauma, the pain, and the gravity of, quote, just porn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously... Through the, through this experience, it just completely shattered your your trust, and and probably in a way almost made you question even your reality and yes. your whole experience, even as a person, and be yeah. like, who am I, and where where am I going in life, and what what is this marriage, and am I even willing to stay in this marriage, and all these. I'm sure there were so many questions that were coming up for you. So where did you go from there to even begin your healing process? This is where it can be really difficult for the betrayed spouse because everybody's journey with betrayal trauma is so different and they have to ask themselves if, where do they want to take this? Because you have a choice and we see some spouses are so hurt that they say they're right in saying this is their problem. They need to deal with it. And that's actually what we recommend. We recommend individual therapy at first to make sure because for the addict, there's lots of psychological abuse happening. There's blaming, there's minimizing, there's blame shifting, there's um, deflection. In some severe cases, there's gaslighting, which is a type of psychological abuse where the addict will say that reality that actually did happen didn't happen. And you're crazy for thinking that. And you see that a lot in these cases. And so the addict really needs therapeutic help from the appropriate therapist who can deal with this to deal with that psychological abuse. To really take responsibility and be accountable and really start dealing with some of the reasons why they're doing it. But it's amazing for the betrayed spouse. If the betrayed spouse has had any previous trauma that that their new trauma can tap into their old trauma. 
we don't believe in the codependency model. We believe in the trauma model. And there's lots of research out there showing um, that there is this difference in can, these two models. Can you highlight a little bit for our listeners? What, what are we talking yeah. about when we're talking about the codependency model versus trauma model? So the codependency model came out of actually Alcoholics Anonymous. And when sex addiction became recognized as an actual diagnosis in the field, they adopted the same model, which was the codependency model, which basically inflicts blame on the spouse. So even though she didn't know, really she did know because maybe she has issues from her family. Maybe her dad struggled with sex addiction. So she accidentally or purposefully married somebody because she's used to that kind of trauma. So she she had kind of a a reason to find somebody else like that. So in a way almost enabling. Yes. And I I'm part of the the problem, problem and I'm maybe even a big part of the reason that he, my spouse actually engaged in pornography yes. for whatever reason. And as you yes. can imagine, you could probably see how an addict could very quickly weaponize that against not intentionally trying to cause pain, but again, deflecting his own his responsibility, own his or her own responsibility from the addiction itself mm -hmm. when- like Kristen was saying, this needs to be addressed initially one-on-one -on -one with a trauma-informed therapist. Absolutely. So, so how does that, that then differ from the trauma-informed approach? So trauma-informed approach recognizes that this is trauma. They've actually done research um, studies on the women's brains. They realize there's certain areas of the brain that actually light up, that show um, kind of parallel um, consequences in, and are similar to post-traumatic stress disorder. We see a lot of the same symptoms in spouses like hypervigilance, um, even irritable mood, um, lots of, you know, we could look it up in the diagnostic statistical manual and see that there's a lot of parallel symptoms. A lot of similarities from yes. PTSD and then mm -hmm. this betrayal trauma, or, right. which is probably kind of a subtype of complex trauma, I imagine. Yes. Okay. Yes. And complex trauma is basically um, a behavior that's happening to the partner that's shaping her reality over time, whether or not she's conscious of it and whether or not she realizes that it's actually hurting her um, or him. You know, these roles could be reversed as well. It's, 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 there's women that also could be addicts that are betraying their husbands. We want to, you know, make that very clear. So too. in a way, the difference, if I'm gathering it correctly, is in the codependency sort of model, it's almost like you're an accomplice. Yes. Whereas in the trauma-informed, you're actually a victim. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, which makes a lot of sense to me. So how, how do you then go from being a victim of trauma to actually not, you know, staying stuck in that victim yeah. role and just feeling lost or, you know, fragmented or yeah. all of these different things that trauma can, can do to us. There's a term for it. It's called post-traumatic growth mm. and it's incredible hope. I and mean, I talked about this in the webinar Regardless of if your spouse chooses the journey with you, you can heal. And that's the hope I like to give individuals who are suffering from betrayal trauma, because 
you can't control whether or not your spouse is going to choose that journey. They have to take that fearless moral inventory. They have to take full accountability and responsibility where that true heart change is. And from a Christian perspective, repentance and a turning away and confession. Um, And then there's lots of other steps through therapy that they have to take. And it looks like control sometimes. Sometimes we have to be careful in therapy because when a betrayed spouse is hypervigilant and they're saying, hey, this is a boundary I need. I need to check your phone. It looks like they're controlling. They're trying to be controlling, but it's actually a bid for safety. Mm. And it's establishing some ground rules so that the couple can maintain, she can begin to get that trust of her spouse again. Um, One thing we were talking about earlier is that some spouses just say, you know, this is his problem and he needs to deal with it and they don't want help. But the betrayed spouse actually does need help. You've been through a lot of trauma and you need your own healing. And we recommend somebody who is is trained. There's clinical partner specialists that are trained in this area that can help you overcome these the hypervigilance and the uh, the trauma that you are experiencing. So what were the first steps that you took after you discovered this and you were just shell-shocked? A lot of self-care, um, immediately seeing a trauma-informed therapist is really important to distinguish between we tried out a couple's therapist right away that had been recommended to us. It was very clear she did not specialize in this area. And so one thing I encourage is if you if someone finds treatment and their gut is telling them something's off, what was happening in that session is she was trying to create bonding before safety. So she did not, she was trying to create us to attune and communicate and to bond. When I said, I don't know who he is. Why are you trying to force me to bond with someone? I don't feel I can't lay my head down next you, to right you now. Ha- you had those walls up because yes. you realized I can't trust him. Exactly. So it sounds like the first step, of course, like you said, the self-care and then getting some help. Uh, from a trauma-informed therapist. And it sounds like one of the first elements there before you can really work on much else in the relationship is starting to rebuild that that trust. That trust and finding out what exactly I was expected to accept. I needed a formal disclosure. He had to give me a formal disclosure. Lots of betrayed spouses will handle this differently. I needed to know what I was going to be accepting. What were the violations? Because he had lied to me for so long. I needed that. And and a therapist helped him with that. And then I needed to express sometimes in therapy, we do an impact letter. So the betrayed spouse can say, this is how it's torn my life apart. So they write an impact letter. And then the addict will, the recovering addict will then reply with a, an amends letter. And so there's lots of negotiation over boundaries, over things that will be allowed into the home and things that will not check-ins, um, talking about voluntary, there's four components. So voluntary, transparent consistency over an extended period of time. So him checking in with me regularly, talking about the work that he's doing in therapy, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So there's a real process to this. It's not just about, okay, we'll just forgive and, and hopefully he'll 
uh, be trustworthy and and then we move on. It, 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 there's a real process. Which if you're the addict sounds like a great idea yeah. at the time. <laughs> right. Like, you know, skipping a year's worth of hard work or months or multiple years. Yeah. Um, but. but let me tell you, even during the trauma, if there's no other abuse happening, in some cases we see that the addict really struggles with narcissistic traits and they don't want to take responsibility. Mm -hmm. But if there's no other abuse happening, there are moments for connection and the pain and you can work through that. Um, as the betrayed spouse is experiencing the trauma, as long as they have, you know, a professional who's supporting them in that and they're safe enough to open up to the addict revealing, I think one of the first things, um, I remember him saying like, he was grateful for how raw I was about how angry and how emotional I was over it because it made him realize how severe his, his, um, behavior was and, um, and the lying and the lying and, yeah. It's a natural consequence mm -hmm. to breaching that trust. Um, but it helped us really get the full meaning of it. That makes a lot of sense because sometimes when we just suppress the feelings and, oh, it's not that big of a deal, it yeah. actually doesn't allow us to right. work through yeah. the feelings that we need to really process and, and yeah. move through. Yeah. But I was safe in doing that. He wasn't abusing me in any other ways. And although he was there was psychological abuse happening. He didn't gaslight me. I was fortunate in that way. That's why everybody's story is so different. Yeah. And to that point, there obviously are a lot of couples where the, the individual who's actually the perpetrator, if you will, or mm -hmm. the addict yeah. um, may not be ready or willing to really do their part to rebuild yeah. that trust. Is there still healing that can occur for the individual who's been traumatized then? That's a really good question. And we can't even as a professional, I can't say what that is for them, but absolutely there's hope and healing. Sometimes that means a separation um, and creating non-negotiables and boundaries. And, mm -hmm. and then based on his behavior and how he reacts to those boundaries, renegotiating boundaries and saying, no, this is, this is where, I stand because this is the value of our relationship, the type of intimacy I want and not, not compromising on that. I mean, every person deserves to have a pure, healthy, godly intimacy. What are, what are the key components? So you mentioned the self-care of course, Yeah. but let's say um, if the, the spouse isn't really quite ready to work on their part of things. And like you said, maybe there's a separation or something. Uh, what are, what are, are there additional things that uh, the, the, the traumatized spouse can do or measures that they can take to actually start to build that wholeness back into their life? Even if the other person maybe never comes around. Yeah. I think part of self-care is, you know, doing things for your body and uh, exercise, making sure you're eating healthy, trying to get adequate sleep. Um, not being afraid to ask for help. Not being afraid to ask for help. Not being afraid to recognizing your emotions and how severe they are, but also taking a break from them. Mm -hmm. Doing things, side, tap out of that trauma 
for a bit. And there's some excellent resources. I know Dr. Sherry Keffer writes Intimate Deception. She has tons of practical tools in there. Dr. Barbara Steffens in her book, Your Sexually Addicted Spouse. So let's say uh, that someone's doing that, they're doing the self-care, but they're still feeling just very lonely, um, broken in a lot of ways. Uh, What types of relationships or support would it be safe for them to open up to because maybe they don't have their partner, at least, you know, in a way that they can trust them. Yeah. Are there other ways of, of kind of filling some of that void in a healthy way without like running into another intimate relationship, yes. romantic relationship or something like that? Taking a break to make sure your heart heals first and finding safe people. There are some people who even in our story meant well, but just were not informed on this and said some very hurtful things, but they didn't mean to. And so recognizing people who maybe there's a person, a few friends that you have that are non-judgmental, that can really listen, be a support and empathize with you through your story is really crucial, but also recognizing people where you may not want to share details. Maybe they rush to forgiveness too soon, or they're trying to excuse the addict's behavior or not respect the boundaries that you have created by minimizing some of the violations that have occurred in your relationship. So lots of things. And I know one thing in my personal life, I can only only speak for myself, but it was clinging to my God who, um, really helped me and helped me see that I wasn't alone. Psalms 91 verse four just continually impacted me as, um, that verse says that he covers us with his feathers and, um, that his truth, it depends what version you're looking at, but his truth shall be your shield. And in another version, it says his faithfulness. And those are the two components that a betrayed spouse wants. They want the truth from the integrity abuse disorder that occurred. And they want safety. They want sexual integrity and faithfulness. So interesting that those two different versions give those two exact results of what you want. And they say that God does that for you. And it it just hit me so hard. And I realized that I had a loving savior that could do that for me. And that had done that for me, protecting despite what my husband was doing during that time. Which is so beautiful. And I'm so thankful that we have a God that can fulfill all of our needs, uh, even though no human being will be able to fully do that in in this life. But we always can count on a loving savior. So I'm definitely hearing, you know, the self-care is very important, healthy relationships and um, having that support, but being, being careful who you open yourself up to, especially in that very vulnerable time when you're feeling um, broken, uh, especially fostering the spiritual connection is very important. So last question, what would you say to someone, Kristen, who's been hurt like this? You're not alone. Your story's real and there's hope and you can find healing. Um, and that through your healing, you can learn more about yourself and you can actually work on maybe even components that you didn't know that you could take this pain 
and actually transform it into something, into a purpose and into a new beginning, potentially to help others. It's beautiful. And I see both you and Jackson doing that. And it's such a, a blessing. Thank you so much for being here with us. And we're going to have uh, resources in our show, show notes for our audience so that they can plug in to getting the help that they need to also recover from any trauma that they've experienced in their life as well. So thank you again for, for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for thank having you. us. Thank you. And if you only take one thing away from today's show, remember this. If mental illness is a whole person problem, then it must have a whole person solution. I'm Dr. Daniel Binus. I'm Kristen Henley. And I'm Jackson Henley. And you've been listening to The, the Brain People Podcast. Podcast. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes, find us on social media or support us financially, visit thebrainpeoplepodcast.com. 